0: Welcome to another episode of the Strong Family Project podcast. I'm Joe, joined by Mel. This is our shorter version for Tuesday. And today we are talking on healthy family communication. We're going to give you some examples of how healthy communication affects a lot of other pieces of family life. We received a lot of questions on discipline, on how do I teach my kid resiliency. How do I get my kids outdoors more? How do I get my kids off tech more? And the the base for that is going to be healthy family communication so that you can have these conversations with slightly lower emotions and lower baggage on top of them. So in the quick episode today, we're gonna chat on a couple strategies you can use to lower the emotions before you communicate. Mel, read us in.
1: Welcome back to the Strong Family Project podcast where we guide you on the path to raising confident, independent, and resilient children in a strong family environment.
0: It's ironic that whenever I would read, like uh, playing college football, you'd read underneath most players, like their majors, communications, and it became a joke that people would you know, oh, well, they're just taking easy classes, basket weaving and communications. <laughs> basket and I don't know why I was always basket <laughs> weaving. weaving. It was part of the joke. But a more important part of it was like, all right, well. The communications probably want being able to effectively communicate is a superpower now it's probably not what they were teaching in college classes probably more a, a radio broadcast journalism type communications however i don't want to devalue it because it does it has been watered down through a lot of jokes in society uh, however if you can effectively communicate and role model that for your kids they can be light years ahead because we see a lot of digital communication which is, okay, there's an effective level to do that as well. However, the eye-to-eye, the in-the-room communication skills aren't practiced as much, therefore they are getting worse.
1: Right. It's almost like there should be a class on this. And since there isn't, it needs to be taught in addition in the home. And so much of what we talk about is role modeling and how to communicate with each other. So again, we need to self-reflect and see how do you communicate as adults in the family and how are you reflecting that to your kids? But I you know I'm a huge proponent of in-person communication. I really think like, our kids are not on social media, I want them to learn how to communicate with people effectively in person before they can go off and do other kinds of forms of communication because if you can't read somebody, if you can't get your point across, then you're going to really struggle. And you know one thing that we work on with one of our sons is being able to communicate in a way that doesn't leave a lot of room for assumption. Like we really want to be able to effectively say our piece and then be able to listen to what the other person is saying. So I agree. Communication is so, such a foundational thing.
0: All right. Great. We're going to dive into how to lower emotions so that we can have more effective communication. So when something bad happens, how do you not fly off the handle and make it a lot worse. That is tough because a lot of small things can happen. And to acknowledge, sometimes you're already like a glass that's close to full. And this is the straw that broke the camel's back. You pour a little more in and then you overflow. So part of having effective emotional control is to acknowledge when you're feeling stressed out and do something prior to that event that is the straw that broke the camel's back. So just have a little... uh, a little acknowledgement to how you are feeling during the day and actively try to let off the steam or stress, whether it's going out for a walk, exercising, reading a book, sitting and looking at nature, whatever it is, develop those strategies so that you are not that glass that's half full when you're walking around so that when this situation happens, you pour over and people think it's a situation, but it's not. It's how you've managed the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, keeping a pulse on where you're at because some days you'll feel overwhelmed from the get-go for whatever reason so just acknowledging that to yourself there's certainly days where i feel more stressed and the kids really notice it like mom you seem like you're a bit on edge today and i make sure not only to acknowledge that to myself but i make sure i acknowledge it to them because everybody's going to have days that are like this i think it's important that they see my role modeling of like yeah i'm feeling a bit overwhelmed today And sometimes I know why. Sometimes I don't know why. But I like that first step to acknowledge to yourself. Things are a little bit over the top already. What can I do to reduce that down? And for me, taking a walk, being outside simply can oftentimes reduce that. But acknowledge it. Don't just ignore it. That you're already stressed out.
0: This is another not optional part of life. You can't hide from this. It will only make it significantly worse if you don't practice and build the skills around it. And a friend of mine had to have the unfortunate phone call a few months ago, like, hey, your house burned down. Like, how can you emotionally manage that with your children? He had to, and I'm sure he did a good job. He's, he's a very intelligent person. Um, was able to to shoulder that and still lead the family through that. All your stuff's burned. All the emotional baggage, of all the stuff you had from childhood, your pictures, <clears throat> all that burned. Okay, well, how do you handle that and move on to what's next? And... One suggestion I have, uh, other than trying to live a lower stress lifestyle, is to pause. You have to create more space before you react. I've talked about it before in the the podcast where Viktor Frankl writes about your freedom lies between stimulus and your reaction. That little gap where you decide what to do about what you just saw, the stimulus and your reaction. And I suggest trying to lengthen that gap. One method is to take one long breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. It doesn't seem like a lot, but practicing the. (sighs) All right, well, here's where we're going to go. That creates just a little more separation versus your intuitive, emotional reaction. And so my tactic is, hey, breathe a little bit more. Bring your stress down a little bit more.
1: I think kids are oftentimes taught, you know, in schools about taking deep breaths. Like, I think that's a pretty common... Thing, But I don't know that it's always connected to communication. I think it's like, well, how do I calm down? And we're making the connection now where, yes, you can use this tool to calm down in order to more effectively communicate. So I think that's pretty common to take a deep breath. And some kids get so mad when you tell them to take a deep breath. But if they can make the connection between if I calm down, I will be heard. I think that's important to make that connection.
0: Another piece of healthy communication is having a time and place in your family to communicate. We teach the family meeting as part of the strong family path. And that is a time and place where the kids have uh, ideas that for the family that want to be heard. When they have something even emotional during the week that they want to discuss and fix for the following week, the family meeting Saturday at dinner is something that they can depend on in a time where we can depend on clearing our minds or so we're not distracted so that we can hear them out and they can hear us out. So a powerful way for communication in general, but to do it without all the emotional baggage is to have a time that actually creates naturally some space for them to think about it. Not in the moment. I talked about the breath other ones. All right. In two days, we have our family meeting, write out what you think about it and we're going to discuss it in detail then. And that creation of time lets them think through it and process it quite a bit more.
1: And I think oftentimes kids will do better when you give them that expectation. So not only do we do family meetings once a week, but other things will come up. So for example, I will be sitting at my desk writing an email or trying to figure something out work-related. Kid will come up to me and start talking to me. So what I do in that situation is I want to give them a clear expectation of when they can get my full attention to be able to communicate clearly. So I'll say, I need to finish this email. I will come to you in five minutes. So that I can fully under, attend to what you need to discuss with me, so I think it's important to set expectations and boundaries around when those effective communication, when when effective communication can happen. If I just turn if I just turn towards them and I'm flustered because I can't finish my email and I'm trying to talk to them, it's important to say I need five minutes. I need you to walk away so I can complete this task and then I can give you my full attention to talk with you. So not only the family meeting once a week, but just In anything that comes up throughout the day, if you get into that practice of saying, this is when I can give you the attention you need to talk about this, and then I think that helps them to know. But if you say five minutes, you really need to mean five minutes because they'll come back and they'll call you on it.
0: (laughs) This is my last point on this for the quick episode, and then Mel, I'll let you finish. There was someone who wrote a seminal book on marketing psychology. His name is Robert Cialdini. It was called Influence. And it took a long time later to wrote a second book called persuasion, which is what happens before the moment of influence trying to change something. And the reason why I share that story is because I want you to consider what happens before the moment of communication. And here's what I mean. There's some people that in our lives that I don't necessarily want to hear from a lot. And I'll see their never pop up on my phone or I'll see their email inbox in and I'll start making like a little face like bracing <laughs> <"Ugh," like>, <laughs> myself and I don't know if that's going to be a negative interaction or not but I have conditioned my body to think it will be because there's been more in the past however I can tr- start treating these as more independent events and thinking all right am I sure this is true and then trying to be aware of your reactions before something happens. Like if the kids are doing a recipe, I can see (laughs) them out bracing herself. It's going to be a mess. It's going to, this It's not going to work. And that then is some persuasion on how your next communication with them is going to be and how you react. Like when a kid is doing something slightly outside their comfort zone, you start, oh, be careful, be safe. I got the hands up, you start making all those noises. Well, that is you before the moment of communication already getting a little bit too far uh, past the point of being able to do it in an unemotional way because now you're stressing them out based on your reaction on something that you're not sure is true. So just be aware of those things, how you're reacting. Like, oh, I gotta go to work today. You're like, oh, this is gonna suck. and You don't (laughs) know for sure. Uh, So question your assumptions before the moments of communication.
1: I think a, a general point we're making, too, is communication is obviously not just words, not just spoken. It's your, your body language. It's how you're standing. You know, during the family meeting, we practice eye contact. At the end of the family meeting, we practice handshakes while looking someone in the eye. Uh, that's really important piece of communication. I mean, yesterday, I was at the helping out at our farmer's market at our church booth, and this young man came over. I think he was maybe 14. And, you know, he was very polite. And he shook mine and my partner's hand, looked us in the eye, and that made an impression. Like, this child knows how to communicate. He knows how to make an impression. And I think those things sometimes are lost, and we need to make sure that we're teaching our kids to effectively communicate. Not only do you have a low heart rate, not only are you aware of what's going on in your mind, but you need to look someone in the eye. You need to make sure that you are presenting yourself as someone that is worth listening to and communicating with.
0: Yeah, it's a good point about you and the person you're working the booth with. When you see effective communication from children, it is mar- markedly special because you don't see it a lot anymore and it's not taught a lot anymore. So if you're listening and taking in these examples and, and purposefully teaching it with your kids, they will have a leg up in so many situations mm-hmm. because of the words they can speak and sometimes the knowledge that they have and the value that they can bring to the world Doesn't ever come to fruition because they don't have a way to communicate that to the world. And undervaluing their ability to talk, communicate, and manage a room would be a huge mistake because that is kind of the entry to being able to then release their other unique values. Any other thoughts, Mel?
1: No, I think if you see effective communication with kids, compliment them, reinforce it. It's really important.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Strong Family Project podcast. We have the Strong Family Path, including the family dinner, where we do a ton of our communication for you free at strongfamilyproject.com. If you found this valuable, please do share it. We are bootstrapping this completely to help out families and parents. And so a couple shares go a long way.